As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Breaking news from The Athletic. It's Hogan Johns. What's up? Welcome in a big day for the Chicago Bears. It might not get the same headlines maybe as like, uh, I don't know, drafting Justin Fields. But anytime you have a brand new president and CEO, the trickle down effect throughout the franchise is big. This is the first time. What year did Ted Phillips get that job? 1999. Here's the exact date. February 10th, 1999. He replaced Michael McCaskey. So we're talking 24 years. This is a quarter century. This is a this is a big deal. Um, but Kevin Warren will be, as we've talked about already, but it is uh, it is finalized, although not officially announced yet. But um, both of us on this podcast have confirmed it at this point. He will be the next president and CEO of the Chicago Bears, the Big Ten commissioner coming over. And we wanted to get you to the pod right away. We got a lot coming up. We got Nate Tice, which we already pre-recorded. We're going to throw it in here to this episode. And we got picks for the weekend. So this is a mega podcast today. But, John, your initial reaction to the Kevin Warren news. It's it's easy to see how the Bears were attracted to Warren, right? They need a new stadium. They have the property secured in Arlington Heights, the old Arlington Park racetrack property. And Kevin Warren... When he's with the Vikings, this is before the Big Ten, built one of the finest, one of the most beautiful stadiums. You and I can both agree. We've been there multiple times now. The the place is stunning. U.S. Bank Stadium in downtown Minneapolis. That is Kevin Warren's baby. Now he gets to leave his mark again with the Bears building their brand new stadium. Something like that. Maybe a little bit better. Maybe. Get my hopes up here a little bit. But you can see why he made so much sense for the Bears. Look, I want to be careful to not like turn this into like a negative Ted Phillips thing. But the reality is when they put on the broadcast, was that last week or two weeks ago, whenever I think it was the last game they put up on the thing, you know, Ted Phillips retiring. And it says like the date he got the job or whatever. And then under accomplishments, it says renovated Soldier Field. It's like when they're when they're going into this massive closing on Arlington Heights whatever that thing was that the city put out the other day with the unrealistic, by the way, beautiful stadium, which was also much better than their original. It looked great presentation. Yeah. A lot better. Probably unrealistic. The point being like, 
they needed somebody who is an expert at getting stadiums done. Like, not not just, not just like done, but like, like it's built. We see it every week. Beautifully done. <laughs> yes. Um, that's honestly of, of all the things, and I think there's other things we need to talk about here than just the stadium. But number one, that's what I'm most excited about. Forget you know bears, whatever. You and I grew up in this city. We don't do stadiums well in this city. The Ricketts and what they did with Wrigley is pretty much the only accomplishment I can think of in my lifetime. And, and that took some time. Let's not forget the the, the netting that was yeah. <laughs> underneath the grandstands there to, to, to collect falling debris. And it's still not perfect, but it has sort of a Lambo-esque, like they managed to renovate an old stadium into something that's modern and not nicer still not a lot of space to walk around on the concourse and stuff like that but they did a pretty good job with with Wrigley Field's renovation other than that like the United Center's fine guaranteed rate field's actually better than it gets credit for but let's be honest like it's not it's not any kind of stadium gem this is Chicago and whether it's in the suburbs or it's in the city we should have a world class stadium that can host multiple events, even if it's only one Super Bowl, because I don't know how many times they're going to want to come here with the cold weather. But if they build it, the Super Bowl will come. And this gives me optimism, really for the first time in my life, that they might actually be able to pull this off. Within its first three years of existence, U.S. Bank Stadium hosted a Super Bowl and a Final Four. I think that Final Four set uh, an attendance record as well. So those are certain things you could see in the Northwest suburbs. Um, I do think the organization, like they still believe what Ted Phillips did with Soldier Field as a, as a success. Now that became outdated kind of quickly. I do remember it being kind of praised at the time because you got you have to remember there was that Elk Grove deal that fell through for Michael McCaskey, and then the city of Chicago wanted nothing to do with Michael McCaskey, so. This was a success, uh, at least relatively to, to the time, relative to the time um, for for Ted Phillips. Um, you know, certain history needs to, to be said there. But yes, in terms of building something new, something on a massive piece of property, building a hotel, a residential area, an entertainment district with restaurants, shops, and all of that, open spaces... Kevin Warren seems perfectly suited to build what the Bears want and need in Arlington Heights. Yeah, I mean he's in, he's just he's he's got it on his resume already, right? And that's why it's a great fit. Now, there's other things beyond the stadium too that I think matter here. I mean, when he became COO for the Vikings, he restructured the organization and they brag about that up there, the way in which he restructured it. It changed dramatically in terms of diversity and opportunities for women within that organization, which I will say, I think the bears have been doing a pretty good job of that in recent years too. And George McCaskey has been on that. uh, What's it called? The diversity council. Yes. For the NFL with Kevin Warren in the past, by the way, before Kevin left for the, for the big 10. So there's, that's where there's a connection there that I think matters by the way. Um, but there's also the money factor. The Vikings were not a very profitable team before. And now they're jumped up. I think they're in the I think they're towards the top. So there's again, 
tangible, concrete evidence right there on his NFL resume that suggests this is a great move for the Chicago Bears. All right, Adam, the the release actually just came in. 10.10 a.m. into the inbox here. And I want to read you this, this sentence. It's the second sentence of this release. Warren will oversee the general manager and the business operations of the club. Let me repeat. Warren will oversee the general manager. That would be Ryan Poles. Your thoughts? Uh, That's big. I mean, this is interesting. This is interesting because, I mean, that reads very... Granted, it's just what it says in the statement, but that reads to me like they're... Second sentence of the statement. First one is just saying Kevin Warren's hired. So, So for... I mean, maybe some of our listeners that don't necessarily care about the stuff as much as we do. I mean, that's changing the reporting structure back to what it was for pretty much the entire time we've covered this team until last year when they fired Ryan Pace and they said the new GM is going to report to George McCaskey instead of Ted Phillips. So it opens to a lot of questions. Is that fair to Ryan Poles? Was this something that was previously discussed because I think you and I both agree that the people inside that building knew this Ted Phillips retirement thing was coming for a while. Yes. Um, Like well before they announced it. Or is this something that Kevin Warren demanded in his negotiations? And in that sense, that's an interesting point. Like that's something that could be clarified you hope can be clarified on Tuesday. Next Tuesday is when they're going to introduce Kevin Warren to the media and and the fan base. But that's an interesting point. He's he's leaving a huge position with the Big Ten to come to this job. Maybe he wants full power. Yeah, and I think he had a lot of leverage. Absolutely. So that would kind of put George McCaskey in an awkward position where maybe that's not exactly what he promised Ryan Poles, but now things have changed and you got to chip or it's, or like I said at the top, maybe it's something that they told Ryan a year ago that, Hey, look, there's going to be a new CEO in here within a year or two. And when that happens, we're going to have you report back to, isn't that just like an unnecessarily awkward predicament created by the bears then though? It is, and I'll say this too. Like I even last year, and I think you and I talked about this. It felt like it was just a symbolic thing that they had to change because they knew the optics in another coaching search, GM search. Just it was it, it. It never felt that different to me. Did it feel that different to you? No, no, because I don't think Ted Phillips was this. I'll be criticized for this. This this overarching. I don't know. Like, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't making the draft picks for the Bears. That's what I'm right. saying. Like, he wasn't standing in the way of Ryan Pace when he moved up for Mitch Trubisky. He wasn't telling Phil Emery, no, don't sign Jake Cutler to this re- record setting deal. He didn't do any of that. Um, he was a sounding board, but then there's, the, the, there's always been contention. Like, like about the structure of the Bears. And you hope Ryan Poles feels okay with this. 
because your football guy, who is still Ryan Poles, now has a new boss who wasn't here when he was first hired. Now, I know Ryan Poles released a, a good statement. Obviously, Warren and Poles got to know each other through this process a little bit. So there's some comfort there. But Kevin Warren still didn't hire Ryan Poles. Right. Which is always a... Which is what always in sports, a thing that matters, right? Like a GM inherits a coach and then a year later he wants his own coach. Like that's why this matters. Isn't that the story of the bears? We just, yeah, <laughs> there's a story about this on the athletic, <laughs> you know, and you throw the quarterback in that mix too, because nobody ever really aligns on things. Maybe we're overblowing this. Maybe Kevin Warren is going to, to be more like Ted Phillips and just handle the business side of things and be that sounding board. But then there's that chance that he's not. Like, what I if they go, what if they have a four win season again next year? Five win. Right. Well, that's where I don't know that this matters that much today, but it could down the line. It's kind of what we're getting at. Like, if Kevin Warren has the power to do whatever he wants with the GM position, that changes things. But you know what? This is also something that happens in all businesses. You know, you take a job even in the media and then your editor changed and then that sure. editor doesn't like you. And then, you you know, it's it's, it's it, unfortunately it's just part of the territory that comes with 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 working. Um, yeah. If I'm Ryan Poles, I don't like that it happened so soon. Yeah, but you, you kind of knew you should have known going in. I imagine there was some candid, honest conversations about what was happening with the Bears at that time. I would hope so. I, I, I would hope so. Another thing that needs to be clarified on Tuesday, I'm yeah. interested who's going to be be talking because I think it's noteworthy that the Bears put that second line in that statement. Everybody's yeah. curious about that. So that's it. Yeah, in the the statement, it, it also says that the press conference is on Tuesday, which makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know enough about the Viking structure. My understanding is that through the, throughout the duration of. Kevin Warren's time in Minneapolis, Rick Spielman, remember Rick Spielman was the football boss. Mm -hmm. So he reported directly to the owner, not to, the to... yes, not to anybody else, but to the Wolves. Okay. That's not how it's playing out here. I, I also know that they have a VP of football operations there right now, but, but I think that that's, actually under the GM. I don't think it's above the GM. Yeah. But um like looking back at old stories. Yeah. When Rick Spielman was promoted to general manager, which occurred at a time or just the, the title shifted the general manager. All the stories at that time made it see make it pretty clear that he's reporting to the Wolves. And there is no mention of any other type of conduit there. He was the top football boss. And that again, that Kevin Warren was there. He was there at that point. Okay. Well, look, there, I agree. There's definitely got to be clarification on this. Um, nice Can I read you Ryan Poles' statement on this real quick? Yeah, because I was just about to say it'd be nice to hear from Ryan Poles on this too. This is in the statement in the same release. One, two, three, four paragraphs into this statement. Kevin is going to be a tremendous resource, and I am excited to get started with him. 
general manager Ryan Pohl said. In my time spent with him during the interview process, it quickly became apparent his resume and business acumen will be a powerful asset to helping improve our organization and ultimately reach our goal to be a championship organization. And that's also interesting. He, he's, he's involved in the interview process, which makes sense. I imagine there's others. Is this like bringing Jay Cutler into the interview process for Mark Tressman? It's a bad, <laughs> it's a bad count, but geez. I don't mean to be like, I, I think Ryan, Ryan Poles, I, I hope he's comfortable with this. I do. Um, you have a new boss now. You're not reporting directly to ownership. You're reporting to the CEO now. It's a, right. it's a new new structure for you than what previously existed when you were hired after the search process run by McCaskey, Phillips, and Bill Polian. My guess here is that, and I guess this is just a guess, but with Kevin Warren's background, what he did in Minnesota, what he did with the Big Ten, what he's going to have on his plate with the Bears. Is he really even going to have the time to worry about football <laughs> decisions? I, I was thinking that. Uh, I'm 100% thinking that. And, and also, it's he's expected to start in the spring, right? Right. So that's kind of a, a, a loose window. You know what happens before that? Free agency. The combine. The combine's next month. Yeah. There's a lot of NFL things that are happening before that. The, the draft. A lot of draft prep, pro days. I, I guess. Yeah. I, I guess my point is, I, I think that this is far more likely that it's just what it used to be. The same situation you just described with Ted Phillips. I don't think Kevin Warren's going to be meddling that much in football decisions. I think it's going to be Ryan Poles' show, and I think. But it, it, you know, he would have the power to make a change. And, yeah. And and by the way, probably should. If Kevin Warren's everything the Bears want him to be, who who do you trust more to make that type of decision? Him or ownership? <laughs> I'm being serious right now. And That's and fair. I think and I think that George's credit, he probably understands that too. That's probably why he's doing this. Is Kevin Warren a football guy? He's actually more of a basketball guy. Yeah, I played basketball, collegiate basketball. But he's been working in the NFL a long time. I think twenty something years. I, I think he knows the inner workings of not only how things work, but how they should work. So I, I again, I we're this is all this news is all fresh, but I I feel like he'll have an understanding that like yes, I have the power to oversee this position, but I'm gonna stay out of the way. This is his show until he needs to step in. Yeah. Well. Which hopefully he won't. I, I think if you're Ryan Poles, you're, you're at this like if like you have to sleep on it. Your final thought is, well, if he has to step in, George probably would have stepped in anyway because my job isn't going so well. Right, right. If you're going to bet on yourself, right. Now we know there's all sorts of power dynamics that come out of these stories. That's why these the, the way. <laughs> The way things are lined up for organizations always become a storyline across the league because there are power struggles that happen. You know, head coach, GM, you know, vice president, you know, all these things that come into play. Um, we'll see how it goes. I, I do. I, while this is a conversation worth having, while it opens up the Bears to some criticism, I do 
overall think the excitement should still be there over the hiring of Kevin Warren, specifically because of the stadium and a lot of other things he provides the Bears. Yeah, I, I honestly don't have a problem with this. I, I we'll am, see. I am curious though about how it all played out. Like, did Poles know this could be coming when he got hired? Did he not know that? Is this something that just came together in the last few days as they finalized this? Yeah, so if this is how it has to be. Yeah. If if you're the sorry, I keep interjecting because I, I it's it, it's just so I'm fired up about this. I am fired up a little bit about it because it's interesting. I'm surprised by it a little bit because that's how like Poles was hired to report to McCaskey, and they just changed that on him. So you like if you're the Bears. You hope Ryan Poles is good with this. Yeah. Because your business is still football. I get you got to build a new stadium, and that is so important to like the the dynamics of your franchise and building the wealth of the franchise, the portfolio of the franchise, and all that stuff. But your business is still winning football games, and Ryan Poles is in charge of that. He has nearly $120 million in cap space and the first overall pick in this year's draft. It's a unique spot for him to be in. It's a special opportunity to change this this team for many years to come. So you hope he feels good about where he sits with his new boss coming in this spring. But I think you and I can agree, after a decades plus of covering this team, Kevin Warren will be a, a much-needed overdue jolt to the other side of, of things, right? The, the business side? Yes. Right? All of that. Um, there's a lot of good people over there. I want to be careful with, with what I'm saying, but this was a Bears move. The Bears made a very non-Bears move. They brought in an outsider, someone who hasn't been here for decades to to lead their franchise, their, their business operations of their franchise. And, and that stands out to me. Like Ted Phillips, he was hired in 1983. By 1999, he was their team president. There were internal candidates and whatnot. Like things had changed. Um, this is good for George McCaskey. I'll, I'll just say that, just in terms of what he wants the Bears to be, this is another. This is a couple steps forward for George McCaskey. Well, and I thought just the fact that I, I'll never forget the first time they dropped that statement that was like, "Hey, we're exploring this Arlington Heights land." Do you remember that, Johns? It was like. Yeah. Like uh, June or something of a couple of years ago, and and like I'll never forget it popped up on Twitter, and it was like, "Whoa, this is not like the Bears, right?" Like it was like this is this is just the fact that they're exploring this is an indication that they're they're ready to make some changes and jump up into the current business world of the NFL, which is thriving, by the way, and. <laughs> More than thriving, it's, it's yeah, it's it's the NFL. But it just you know, and it, it just the Bears going from like this family. I don't, I, I want to be fair. It's not like a hobby, but you know, you know what I'm getting at. Like this family thing to like, no, we want to be with the big boys now. We're this is Chicago. This is one of the biggest markets that the NFL has access to. Let's get into this world of these gorgeous stadiums and. The business operations. We, we've updated our facilities back at House Hall. To their credit, it's gorgeous. It's 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 way better than it used to be when you and I started covering this team. That's part of it too. The Bears are different now than when Ted Phillips took over in 1999. They have actually taken steps, and we have to give them credit for this. Taken yes. steps to modernize their infrastructure, 
they've poured a lot of resources into their football operations. Now, has that panned out and produced wins? No, we know that. The Bears have the first overall pick for a reason. But, you know, Ryan Poles is attempting something different. But in terms of resources, they have four football fields at Hallis Hall. When we started covering this team, they had two. Lovey Smith's last year, they had a cafeteria that was the size of, um, I don't know, what, a meeting room? <laughs> it wasn't it's big. It's actually a five fields if you include the Walter Payton Center. Yeah, they have five fields now. Yeah, There's a viewing suite back there. Training camp is held at Hallis Hall. They, they, they added in, like, what was it 2019? Added 200,000 square feet to their facility. That includes new offices for their business side, which, is, which, which have also expanded. They've taken steps to modernize, and, and this is another step towards that for George McCaskey. So now here's the other side of this, right? The the obvious question. We talked about this before. We had a you can go back and listen to it. I highly recommend our interview with uh, Matt Fortuna a couple weeks ago when this the news that Kevin Warren was the favorite first broke. But the other side of this is okay. Well, wait a minute. Why is he leaving the Big Ten? These are these these conference commissioner jobs are incredibly well played. Paid, they are um, very powerful jobs. As Matt Fortuna told us, he thinks the Big Ten job is the most powerful job in college sports right now. And it's like, well, why would you leave that to go back to the NFL? This is uh, kind of a more complicated discussion. One of the things that um, was it. Matt reported, or was it Pete Thamel? Someone reported that Kevin Warren has aspirations of being the next commissioner of the NFL. Um, but also the the friction that kind of developed with all the COVID stuff. We don't have to dive into all of it again. I would I would encourage people to go back and listen to that episode from a couple weeks ago if you haven't already. But I think that there's sort of this behind the scenes mutual uh, acceptance that this might be the best thing for all parties. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. But can we make clear that he left the Big Ten in, in an amazing place? Yes. They're now a national conference. Like He was an outsider. I, I have this in my column. Like An outsider became like quite the deal maker. Adding USC and U- UCLA to the conference. Going west making them a national conference. Getting this TV deal. I mean, this massive TV TV deal. Matt told us about this, what, last week? With three networks, Fox, CBS, I think NBC. I'm forgetting the other one. Maybe, whatever. You don't know. Yeah. Three NB- major networks. NBC's in there for sure, which was new. Um, And yeah, it's like... Whatever the relationships are that are that there's friction that exists, I think it's partly... A, because he came from the NFL. He didn't have these college relationships. B, the whole COVID thing happened that nobody could have prepared for. And maybe he didn't handle it the best. But still, I think whether it's this or other areas of life, everybody to a point sort of gets a pass for what went down in the pandemic. Right. And then um, the reality is like if he did his job, he still did his job despite all that. The TV deal is isn't like eight billion dollars or something. Yeah, hold on. I got it here. And then he adds USC and UCLA to the conference, which you might not be a fan of, but from a money standpoint, 
It's a great move. Seven-year, $8 billion media rights deal with Fox, NBC, and CBS for the Big Ten. Three of the four major networks. That's serious. He's got connections. He's got the, the NFL connections that, that you need from his time with the Rams, Lions, and Vikings. He's got the stadium experience. And he's got more connections now from the Big Ten. Yeah. That, that's why I don't, I'm not too concerned about the friction and the relationships because I think the existing relationship, you never heard it all that when he left the Vikings. That was not a thing when he left the Vikings. In fact, it was the complete opposite. So I yeah. think whatever those NFL relationships are will will still be strong. Um, Can we add this to the conversation? I think it's a very important part. He's the only African-American CEO in the NFL. There you go. I, I agree. That's that. That's important, and that's uh, it's a good move for the Bears. Good job. I have this in my column. Check it out. Uh, they cast a, a wide net. Um, started with Zoom interviews. Um, it included candidates from the the NBA, from MLB, including one from the Cubs. Professional soccer over in Europe. Huge net cast by George McCaskey and Ted Phillips. Kevin Warren obviously became a finalist. What was that? A couple weeks ago. And here we are on the 12th of January talking about him being in charge of the Bears now. I'm sure it was a very coveted job. I mean, I would look at the Bears as like the sleeping giant of a franchise. They're already a giant. I know, but they don't win. (laughs) Well, well, hence the sleeping. So they're sleepy on the field. (laughs) Yes, yes. But but there's still so much untapped potential too from a business standpoint is what I'm getting at. Yeah, specifically with the stadium. Yeah, even beyond that, you know, like the the wins will help. But you know this as well as I do. Bears are kind of a national brand. Yeah, like the Cubs are a national brand. Exactly. You yeah. know, like I, I know I kind of lost my train of thought there, but the the, the potential for growth and leaving this franchise, like. If there's one thing I've learned about like George McCaskey in, in covering, uh, in covering him, like he wants the Bears to be the best at everything, like considered the best. He believes he has one of the best facilities in the NFL. He wants the Bears to have one of the best stadiums in the NFL. He hopes that Justin Fields and Ryan Poles help create one of the best teams in the NFL. Now that, that remains to be seen, but in terms of like business operations and taking things to the next level, like Kevin Warren is part of that. He's part of all that excitement. He really is. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Well, we got to keep this thing moving. Um, there's a lot to get to. 
we on the Justin Field side side of things, um, we actually recorded this a couple of days ago. So if you're watching on YouTube, we're gonna magically change clothes and look different and have our different backgrounds. Um, well, I will. We're gonna put clothes on that we had on the other day. Yep. <laughs> and I'm gonna morph into a different studio. Uh, Nate Tice is our guy. We love him. He loves Justin Fields, and probably more than he loves us, which is cool. Um, we love checking in with him from time to time. And now that the season's over, we want to get his thoughts on what he saw, especially because there was a dip at the end of the season. Now we got to kind of put it all in uh, in a in major context. But we had a really fun discussion with Nate Tice, as always. We also got into some draft talk, some free agent wide receiver talk. Nate's on top of all this stuff. So um, hope you enjoy it. Here's our conversation with Nate Tice. All right. Well, with the season over, seemed like a pretty good opportunity to bring our guy, Nate Tice, back into the podcast. All things quarterbacks, NFL draft, Justin Fields fan club. You, you, everybody knows the, the drill here. Nate, thanks for yeah. jumping on with us again. About 2% Badger talk in there, just to sprinkle yes. that in. You know, yeah, I just cover all the bases. I know what it, I feel like we do like a three month checkpoint. I think uh, me coming on here, it's like every every three months, you know, it's it's regular, just coming in and out. This the uh, this is the third trimester, I guess I like maybe <laughs> maybe yeah, for my my check it out. Sounds like a new father, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, know all the terms now. <laughs> right, we get the quarterly Tice report. I like this. There it it's, is. it's good. I think, yeah, I think I we're on to something here. I know. Um, I just want to. Ma- I want to get to the TRL where my I get retired. You know what? What is it like after 50, 50 appearances or whatever? They get. I'm re- referring to something from twenty five years ago. So maybe this isn't the best thing to really pull in <laughs> pull in viewers with TRL talk. <laughs> well, we could start doing it like SNL has like the uh, uh, the f- the. F- Five, the five I think it is. Uh, robe, I think they do. So if we do 50 okay. appearances, we get some kind of Hogan Johns. Okay. You know, I don't know. We probably should from, get him some sweatshirts anyway. <laughs> so by the end of the decade. <laughs> yeah, something, something <laughs> like that. All right, Nate. Um, season's over for the Bears. Justin Fields. Was it a win for Justin? How do you look at this season? Was it, was it a win for him? I, I think it was in the sense that it's like, okay, this guy does some things that can give him like continue to give him playing time. I think it's just so funny. This is not how I pictured Justin Fields as the NFL quarterback. I, I knew he was a great athlete and had great size, but didn't think that his bread and butter right away would just be one of the best running threats, one of the best weapons in the NFL as him as a running threat, um, even despite that. But I, I think it was because there's times where it showed that he was a viable NFL quarterback and not just an idea, even if it wasn't always pretty, especially right there at the tail end of the season. But I think it was a win. It might have been like a 14-13 squeaker of a win, but I think it was a victory for Justin Fields this season to at least show that he's a real, real quarterback that's showing progress. And that's what all you can hope for, really, especially in the situation uh, that the Bears were in this year. So when you see that the Bears finished with like the worst passing offense in the league, like by far, how much is that? On fields, or is it a matter of situation, the, the help around him? How do you encapsulate that stat? Yeah, all every question in football, especially, is uh, it's almost like a puzzle, and you're figuring out what size puzzle piece everything is. I would say a lot of it was situation, maybe 70 to 80%, but some of it was fields. And 
there were stretches where I thought he could be his worst worst enemy. Like him trying to create and trying the big game hunter aspect of his game can lead to the best plays, but also can lead to the what was that. So like there's still that 20 to 30 percent 30% aspect of that. But I think I mean they can't legit if there was any time that was third and five or longer, it was like you're scared because you know this offense couldn't drop back. The the center's going the wrong way. Most of the time, the offensive line, it was just they pick their poison or not pick their poison, just pick a door and somebody's going to get blown through with the offensive line. And on top of it, you had not a lot of guys that could win consistently. You had a lot of that's that's why I've kind of noticed with this Bears kind of receiving core. It's a lot of threes and fours, like, you know, like even like Mooney, you like if they, they were on a good offense. Those guys would be role players, not eating 50 reps a game and a dozen targets a game. Um, so I think. Long, long answer short is that it was mostly the situation, but still Fields has those issues and this situation sometimes expounded them. It made them, you know, magnified them. And then sometimes he was able to kind of nullify the negatives of the situation with his own playmaking or some, some really good throws down the field. Well, well, to go off of that real quickly, what were some of the issues that maybe you saw consistently in the past? You've called him a a big game hunter and that kind of led to him holding the ball a little bit. I think we can all agree he did some of that this yep. year. So what were some of the issues that you saw be persistent for him this season? It's it's exactly that. It's when he I, – I still think he's a he's – a, it seems by all accounts, and I've said this on the show before, and I think you guys confirmed it, is that he's a very intelligent guy. And I think sometimes is that he doesn't shortcut things to help himself out. He tries to be too perfect in the sense of I'm going to one. Now I'm going to two. Now I'm going to three. Oh, now I'm getting into creation mode. And it's like sometimes it's a little too late. I still think he has to learn. That's what quarterback play is, is not going always one to two to three. It's, hey, I'm getting cover two. Number three is now my number one. And I think that's what he has to learn to cut the fat out of every all those stuff. Speed his own processing up, which I think he improved on. But I still think that's an that's an issue sometimes. Is that when that pre snap read number one doesn't go how he thinks it's going to go, he kind of gets into uh like you can see the consternation happening with him trying to process a little bit. I think he him. I'm starting to kind of throw this comparison around a little bit. Some of the issues he's had is were the issues that Daniel Jones had as a quarterback and that he is smart, but maybe sometimes that quick processing doesn't get there. I think Fields is a better prospect and it has potential, way more potential than Jones ever had, but he still has that thing where it's just like, I have to get to number three now. And he's just hanging in the pocket and here comes the pass rusher just bearing down on him. So I think that's what he still has to continue to improve upon. I think what stinks is that sometimes the times where I did see in games where he was playing quick, uh, the Vikings game, um, I, at Minnesota, uh, I believe is one where I can kind of really see him kind of like going, we're in empty. Number one's not open. I'm scrambling. And usually that's a negative with some quarterbacks, but he has shown that he's trying to do the harder stuff. But really, it's the opposite way you usually try to teach quarterbacks. Hey, sw- stop bailing from the pocket with Justin. It's like, no, do bail. <laughs> the situation isn't good. So I think he's trying to figure out that equation for him, that every quarterback has their own chemistry of when to bail, when to stay in the pocket. And I think that's what he still has to work on. I still, that's where he saw a lot of the blemishes happen with him. This might seem like an obvious follow-up, but how much does having that clear-cut dude at wide receiver help what you're talking about? Because I got to imagine it's so much easier to read those pre-snap coverages and know what you're doing when they – it's just – it's – it's got to be harder on the defense to disguise those things when there's that type of threat on the field. Absolutely matters. And 
not only that, like if you think of a trips three by one formation, a trips formation where you have one guy, a lone receiver, who's usually your best receiver, your ex, the Devontae Adams, the DeAndre Hopkins, those types of players, Justin Jefferson, is when you're in those, you have a trips read, which is, you know, some zone beater or maybe even a man beater to the three man side, some combination that you have to read out. Sometimes though, on that read, I can just pick my one-on-one and take that one-man route and just pin it on them. Whether it's usually a stop route, a vertical route, a comeback route, a slant, uh, something of that sort. And a good, a good way to like what I'm talking about is watch the Chargers offense with and without Mike Williams. Mike Williams is that X receiver, ball winner, vertical guy. And Justin Fields, because this is a traditional offense, they run a lot of trips. He will just go, I'm not, or Justin Herbert, I should say, I'm not going to read the trips out. I don't know what DeAndre Carter is doing. I'm just going to take my one-on-one and pin the ball on him. That does help. <laughs> it, it helps so much because it just gives you that tool in your toolbox. Here, you're like, do I want to take Mooney one-on-one on a, on a physical route? Do I want to take, oh, well, we got Komet split out there. Is that really who I want to take there? And so, okay, I'm going to just progress through this concept like I should. And you don't have that guy. Also for play designers too, not only just the quarterback. Because you think for years, the Packers, it was great. Wow, we really like this third down concept. Okay, let's put number 17 there, you know, in the slot. Let's put number 17 as the lone receiver. It helps them out to go, this guy is starred and highlighted on this concept. And then you go from there. So it just makes everyone's lives easier. But yeah, I know it's it sounds obvious, but it's like, yeah, it makes the quarterback's lives easier and the play caller's lives easier. You were so high in Luke Getze when we like when we talked to you in mm-hmm. the preseason. We stood with you in the bleachers at training camp. 17 games now in the books. Justin Fields became a highlight real machine. Yep. I'm I'm just curious, what are your your final thoughts on what Luke Getze did as being a first-time play caller in the NFL? I I liked it. I this was what I kept saying with Getzey was that he knows what he has too. I don't think Getzey was under any. You see too many play callers get in and think they still had some dominant offensive line. The Mike Martzes of the world. Hey, I can do the stuff I did with the Rams. I can drop back seven steps with a thirty-first ranked, thirty-second ranked offensive line. Getzey knew there was a reason they ran the ball so many times on third down. There's so many times they ran zone run plays, which helps your offensive line. I think there were times that they were trying to run some convoluted read. I wouldn't say convoluted, but uh, high-end read to get somebody open, to pop them open because they're not going to win on their own. Um, I, I'm still high on him. I think he understands what he's got. It wasn't always great. Some game plans were better than others, but I I could see what he was always trying to do. There was never where I was like, why are you doing that with him? Like I, He took out some plays that I think last year that Nagy was running with fields that were not conducive to his skill set. I think Getsy was trying, hey, some more verticalness some more play action, a lot of boots, you know, just to help out our offensive line and just make things help help out with fields. I just want to see him get some toys. And I I, I really still am optimistic about Getsy. I think he did a fine job for what he was given this year. Yeah, I always say, Nate, that it's hard for an offensive coordinator to look good when uh, specifically when the offensive line is bad. Like when things don't get blocked up, it's hard to call the right play. And I think when you we factor that in with the lack of weapons the Bears had, the fact that we're even just out of the season going, yeah, Luke Getz, he's probably the most optimistic you are about any of the coaches on the staff right now I, I i think that says a lot about the type of season that he had just as a coordinator because if you really look at it it, <laughs> it shouldn't have been pretty no no that compare him to what they're doing to what the texans were doing and the texans have you know pep hamilton i i'm very high on 
uh, Texans at times was like they couldn't even get a yard. And I know the Bears fans feel that way. Bears, I mean, if you looked for weeks and weeks and weeks, especially when Khalil Herbert was healthy, how many explosive runs the Bears were ripping yeah. off without even Justin Fields, not even including him, just running back zone runs. That's not by luck. You know, you can't really you're not really going to look at this offensive line and go, well, I can get 15 yards with, you know, that offensive line with Sam Mustafer blocking for me. You know, it's a, it's a big difference between running the ball between this line and then the Eagles offensive line, you know? So right. that's it was with why. The play- it was, sorry to interrupt you, but it was with the players they already had or yes. replacement players that came in that really were like replacement level players, not yes. top tier guys, except maybe was- Tevin Jenkins, who did take a big step forward. He did in yeah. position change and all that. It, it was yeah. sub replacement level players replacing replacement level players. <laughs> that's what it was. There was a lot. That's the thing. There's players where there's backups on teams. The Lions are playing backup offensive linemen that could all those backups could start for the Bears. That is just and they're backing up and playing that six offensive linemen snaps. Like that is the the level of depth. It's not only just high end talent. It's just depth. And that they, they're missing both of it. And that's like you said, it's really hard to do any offensive function. We've seen Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs get run out of a Super Bowl because they couldn't block. Now imagine the Bears <laughs> with yeah. with no receivers or anything like that. So that that's the situation that they got put in this year. So speaking of, of new toys, you have the Bears going into, we'll start with free agency with Nearly $119 million. I don't think they're going to use all that. If you listen to to Ryan Poles this week, he kind of threw out that uh, a message. Maybe it's a message to the agents. Hey, we have a lot of money, but we're not going to spend it all. Right. Like, How would you spend it? You, you told us before the show started that you started to look at some of the, the free agent wide receivers. Yeah, I for sure restocked the receiver cover. Like you, I know they did the Chase Claypool trade, which we can talk at a later date or another time, but it's I understood the thinking with that was, oh, we're going to get this big receiver and give Justin Fields some help. But, of course, they trade for the the big receiver that plays small, which is like, <laughs> ah. Uh, but, uh, but I think just this receiver, I, I think a lot of people have looked at this free agency class and gone like, man, there's not a lot of guys at the top. But I do think there's a lot of tangible players. Like, I think contenders are going to have a field day in this free agency class because there's a lot of those type, a lot of cherry on top type of players. But for me, there's three guys of this. Just looking at the receiving class, um, that I would have circled and highlighted, and that's DJ Chark, Alan Lazard, and Jacoby Myers. DJ Chark was with the Lions this past year. Um, Alan Lazard, of course, with the Packers, and and um, uh, Jacoby Myers with the Patriots. I would say if you could get two of those three, that's you're doing good. You're doing well because I think even if those guys are not number ones, you're not going to get a number one on the free agency market. Those guys are tangible number two to number three type players. I think Jacoby Myers could be a high-end number two type, but they're useful. Alan Lazard is a great blocker. He can play inside, play outside. He's great on third down. He's a big body that gives Justin Fields, who likes to throw into tight spaces. Jacoby Myers can play inside or outside. You're not getting these guys are just one-off type players. That's one of my problems with the Christian Kirk, Kirk contract last year, the Jaguar signed. Trevor, Trevor Lawrence needed help at receiver. But they're getting a slot only player, and they're spending eighteen million dollars on it. It was uh, that's a little too much for me. Useful players that can play a lot of snaps and are bigger bodies. And then DJ Chark is a true X. Um, he's a little he adds gives a little juice and a little vertical element. Again, more of a number two, number three type. I think those if you got two out of those three, those guys are just useful players. So those were those are the three guys I would have circled if I were the Bears. And I think you can get. I think Jacoby Myers is going to get 
paid pretty well this offseason. But those other guys, I think you can get on decent-sized contracts as long as you're not breaking the bank. This is the time to do it, those two, three-year deals for these types of guys. Jacoby Myers seems like a uh, like a polls fluce guy. I know he's well-liked and respected there um, when that whole play happened with the pitch back against the Raiders. Oh, yeah. And it, it, like <laughs> everybody was like, why couldn't this have happened to like an asshole instead of somebody that everybody he's, in that organization loves? All um, right. He just seems like a good fit. And then Lazard's got that connection to with Getsy Packers right. uh, connection. What, what if I told you that the room, well, maybe it's, well, I guess the your top five receivers then would be, let's say they get Myers and they get Lazard with Mooney, Claypool. They already signed EQ back. Yeah. Um, and then they draft, you know, somewhere in the second, third round, another yep. guy who's probably not quite ready to put up big numbers as a rookie. So you still don't, those are those that's a six those are six wide receivers right there. None of them though are technically that dude One. that we were talking yeah. about. Do you still feel confident though that Justin Fields would be in a much better spot with with that receiver room? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um even getting uh, and I've said this before uh talking about other kind of positions or I was talking about the Bengals offensive line when I talked about this. I think a lot of people, when you have crap at one position group, that you improve it and everybody wants all pro and you're going from crap to to the best, to elite. But going from crap to average is still a huge improvement. And that's what I think that room, yeah, say it's Myers, Lazard, and Claypool, and, and, and Mooney, and that, like that front four or that top four, say what you want about Vilas Jones, but that top four is like, it's solid. Like it's solid and you can do a lot. They have some nice kind of synergy in the room. And I think that's where, because now Mooney doesn't have to, you can move Mooney how you want to move him around. He doesn't have to be outside all the time. He can kind of be the off ball guy moving around because now you have size and throughout. I think that's such an improvement because also just the skill sets are more conducive to fields, bigger bodies with bigger catching ranges that can go inside and outside. So again, that's why I think that kind of mishmash of getting these two, the draft, the receiver draft is a little different than the last two seasons. Um, there are some middle round guys that maybe have some size, like A.T. Perry from Wake Forest. Um, he might be more like a second round type. That's where pick 32 would have been nice. Uh, but he like he would have been like a nice ball winner with a potential to be a real X. Um, but then there's, you know, give you some leeway to maybe take a swing on more of a project type because he doesn't have to play right away. You have some smart guys that can eat these reps. Nate, how many teams do you think need quarterbacks in the NFL right now? Chance. <laughs> <laughs> I always try to go left to right in my head, like West Coast to East Coast, like six. I'm, I'm trying to think, maybe more than that, but six, I would say. Six, uh, seven. Give or take. Yeah. Yeah. Six, okay, seven. So if you're the Bears and you have the first overall pick, like how flexibility was it used by, by, by Ryan Poles? But I like the word opportunity. Like this is something unique because some of these teams are going to be desperate. You have certain teams with owners, look at the Colts, that could press yep. the issue. Yep. Like what type of opportunity does Ryan Poles maybe have with Justin Fields as his quarterback? He does have a lot of holes, but to have that first overall pick, like what does he have? A huge opportunity because not only is this they're, 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 this quarterback class is interesting. It's not the super deep one maybe of 2020. Um, or you know, or 2021, um, and it wasn't last year's, which had nobody. Um, 
Ritter looked okay though. I'm actually pretty. I'm I'm starting to feel pretty good about my Ritter number one selection or <laughs> QB one pick. But I would say this opportunity that he has is great because it's an eye of the beholder quarterback draft, and that's good because hey, there's only two teams that like Will Levis from Kentucky. Oh, there's two teams that like him. Well, now they get into a competition with each other, but then there's three teams that like Bryce Young. And then there's one team that loves CJ Stroud or three teams that love Stroud. Uh, Maybe there's a team that likes Richardson. You know, like there's uh, from Florida is with these, that at the top of the draft, now you get into a, hey, you like this guy, right? Well, this team likes him too. The Colts really like Levis. So, hey, you want to come up and creep up for him too? I think that gives them so many more avenues rather than, Say, I would say the when the Jaguars had Trevor Lawrence, you know, like that's easy. Okay, we're t- we're taking Trevor Lawrence. Move on. The number two pick is the juicy pick, obviously, you know. So like that because you move up and like whatever the Jets stayed pat with Zach Wilson. But I think it's a huge, huge opportunity. I think for them though, you want to stay in that top six ish range. Though I don't think you want to do the golf, the golf or the Wentz trade where you know the Eagles and the Rams moved up. One to or fifteen from, from the yeah, teams, yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. I say you want to stay in that top six, seven because I know the 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 Bears need assets, they need players, they just need tangible starters. But a guy like Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, those guys are foundational pieces for a team that you those are true blue chip like stars. Those are like Julius Pepper Peppers types like p- potential. Like that's why. I, I, I'm kind of like hedging pe- on people going like, oh, well, we just need – we need like five day two picks. Like we need we need a haul. We need two first rounders to like go back into the teens. I'm like, you want to stay in striking range. You want to stay where you know where how many quarterbacks get picked and we can still get one of these two guys. So I think if you can get that balance, oh, it could be a great, great offseason for the Bears to get picks, get one of those stars and really build around fields, which is what I think the path should be. We're we're yeah, and speaking of that path, I mean we're all operating under that assumption that that is the path that they are yeah. going to build around Justin Fields. Ryan Poles said that he would have to be blown away by one of the quarterbacks to take them at number one. So when I hear that, I'm thinking not that there's ever such thing as a flawless yeah. quarterback prospect, but there's certainly been years like Trevor Lawrence's year, yeah. which was a strong QB class, where it was like, okay, this guy is number one. Yeah. Um, clearly Andrew luck. Yeah. Luck. Andrew yeah. Luck's year, Peyton yeah. Manning's year, like even Stafford, you know, like those guys, it's like a true sure. one. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so my question, you guys, you, uh, you've watched these quarterbacks more than I have at this point by far is, is there that blown away clear cut number one QB in this draft? There is not in my eyes. I, I keep saying people say Bryce Young is the number one pick. I think they're Bryce Young's off of half the team's boards because of his size. Um, he is, I, 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 he's a great football player. Don't get me wrong. The, you're going to hear this the next four months. It's going to be exhausting by the time we hit the combine. He's a great football player. He's just, he's extremely small. He, he's the, if he, he, he goes in the first round, he'd be the first quarterback under 200 pounds. since Jim McMahon drafted in the first round. So it's that he's an outlier. He's an all time so, outlier. So you played um, with Russell Wilson though. Like how does he compare? It, it, can, can you make any leaps like that to, to, I know he's probably not as mobile but he does move around the pocket and create those throwing lanes like russell has been always able to do the thing is it's just the size russ russ has 25 pounds on on bryce young and that matters it really matters if you break down quarterbacks under 205 210 
like Zach Wilson. That was one of my things about Zach Wilson was I was like, he weighed 212, but that's water weight. You look at this guy. He looks small, especially playing with BYU. Those guys just get hurt, especially if they're kind of a runner. I, I hate to sound like that. That's just automatic, but it's just it's just physics. <laughs> it's just the NFL and taking those shots and especially play style. The thing with Bryce Young to me is he's like 80% or 85% of Kyler Murray in every way. Um, play style, you know, gaming, but 85% of his arm strength. He, Kyler has great arm strength and one of the best deep ball throwers. We just haven't seen in a couple of years. Um, but Kyler, Kyler's the, Kyler's probably got an inch on Bryce Young height wise. And Kyler's probably wow. got 15. Yeah. I'm telling you, he's, it's small. That's how Bryce Young is small. <laughs> it's like, I'm trying to wow. get across and he'd be a true, true outlier. And Kyler's probably got 15 pounds on Bryce Young, at least um, just even though Kyler is tiny, he still has that little bit of a thick build. And I think he has a little more juice than Bryce Young. Bryce, Bryce is a great play extender. I, I again, I, I don't want to dog him too much because he's a great football player. He just, his play style is hard to do in the NFL at that size, just consistently over long-term. That's why I, I, I have hangups on him right now as um, where we're doing this January, January 10th. Um, I have Stroud from Ohio State as QB one. And then I would take a home run string swing on Anthony Richardson uh, as my QB two. Um, he is a, he would be a project, but I don't think he's as big of a project as people has made him out to be. I would be have hangups taking him in the top ten, but middle late first round, hell yeah, especially a team like the Lions that has two first round picks or something like that. But that why I'm saying all this is there's not just one dude. It's a bunch of if you ask ten people that watch these four guys, the rankings are all going to be different. Or at least, you know, a couple of guys might have the same, but it's it's all over the place. But that's why I say it's none of these guys I have as a higher prospect than Fields when he was coming out or how I feel about Fields now. And that was just what I was about to ask yeah. you. So if Fields is in this draft and not not current Justin Fields yeah. coming out of Ohio State, Justin Fields, he's the number one quarterback. Yeah. And in which case, with what you just said about Will Anderson and Jalen Carter being foundational pieces that are blue chip. Yeah. It, it, it would sound to me, based on all this information, granted it's only January 10th, yeah. that it would be idiotic to pull off one of these scenarios where people are saying the Bears should trade fields and draft one of these quarterbacks. Personally, I think it would be idiotic. <laughs> I, uh, I I think fields is a full tier better as a prospect. Um, I, I have, I'm pretty, pretty harsh on my quarterback grading. I had him and Trevor Lawrence closer together and then fields with the other three guys that went the first round that year. Um, I think fields is probably still my second best prospect I've watched in the, my time as a evaluator. So I'd say, you know, eight ish years, 10, eight ish years or so. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't think he, any of these guys are to the level. I had somebody tweet at me, um, start Kyle Orton, which is one of my, he's a bears fan that follows me on Twitter. He's great. Uh, but he goes, any of these guys, any of these mystery boxes could be Justin Fields. Like that's what, like, you know, any of these guys could be Justin Fields, but it's like, but you already have Justin Fields. So why would you do that? Like, you know, right. and I, I hear the cost control stuff about that rookie contract. I think that's just theory. Um, NFL show year to year, every, you know, especially with your team makeup, I don't, and honestly, a number one pick quarterback would make more money than Justin Fields would over the next two years. Like, so that, like, it's, that's also, uh, yes, you have the other two years, but if Justin Fields is your dude, you're ecstatic. It's, it's what you're going for. So I don't think, um, yeah, I think Fields is a clear tier better than these guys as prospects anyways. Boy, our <laughs> podcast listeners are going to love to hear that. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I think, well, 
we'll we'll continue to talk it out with you, Nate. Obviously, over the off yeah. season and 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 as we get closer, but it, it does seem like I, I understand the excitement in Chicago over the position the Bears are in, yes. but it's also refreshing to hear you know national guys like you look at it from an outsider's perspective and see that same thing. Um, okay. One of the things we've been talking about as we let you go is just like how improbable it actually was that the Bears ended up with the number one pick, oh considering God. that like. We've seen years where teams are just clear cut the worst two teams in the league, and you kind of right. know it. it. Like the Bears were competitive in a lot of these games this year and lost so many games on like one or two plays that they yes. probably should have won. That, and then you had in the cap space, the draft capital, like they're really sitting in a really good spot. They are. So. And that's, I, I'm optimistic about Eberflus. I have no, I know the wins, losses weren't on there, but just how this team competed. I told you guys this when I watched them practice. Like, I don't know. There was just – it just seems like they have good bones there. You know, I don't know. There is – there is. I know they have the number one pick and all that in the last month. But like you're saying, they went toe-to-toe. Like, they played – ignore, like, the very last games. But they went toe-to-toe with the Eagles late in the season and played yeah, them Bill's top. game was close. Bill's The bit. Bill's game, yes. And, for a little bit. <laughs> and But, yeah, for a little bit. Talent wins out in the end. Yeah. Uh, they have this guy named Josh Allen who's pretty damn good. Uh, no, but that's – when you watch it, and watching, like, just even watching the Bears' defense and how they could figure their defense every week, they're game playing the crap out of these offenses or just these opposing teams. And what's always fun is you can see, say, like the Eagles game, how they play the Eagles and, and some of the pressures they brought. Also, I'm watching the Giants, and yeah, Wink Martindale does bring a lot of pressures. Jalen Hurts is in there. It was the same stuff the uh, the Bears' defense was doing a couple of weeks ago. So they're. They're showing exposure. They just don't have the horses to kind of like, yeah. you know, do this for, yeah, for the 60 Yeah, the Giants are just doing it with better players. <laughs> yeah, and just and just cranking up and playing with nothing, you know, just whatever. Yeah, just, yeah. they have some guys. They have this guy, Dexter Lawrence, is pretty damn good too. <laughs> yeah. um, but that that's exactly it. It's, but that's a good thing that, that it's like other teams are going like, hey, that was a good idea that they had. That was, oh, that was nice. And even just on the offense with Getsy again and just some of the – remember we talked about the cadence usage of like – you could see it in the second half of the year. They were doing some tempo stuff. Like they, I don't know, the bones are good. I, I think they really are. It's just that, you know, they need some more meat on them, which is personnel and some some juice on offense and defense. Yep. They need the talent. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Nate, you're the best. We appreciate you jumping Thanks, on with guys. us again. Uh, make sure you're following him on Twitter at Nate underscore Tice, reading all his great work on The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns, where you go to subscribe. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Nate. All right, great stuff with Nate Tice. I think he's still jo- I I found it very interesting specifically how much conviction he has on the idea that Justin Fields would still be the number one quarterback in this draft. Yeah. I also like what he what he said in terms of since there isn't like a Trevor Lawrence like prospect that that may drive trade talks a little bit more because certain teams will be blown away by certain things and certain quarterbacks and that yeah. drives conversations and it drives movement. Yeah. Um, we saw that. We saw that happen here. <laughs> one quick thought on something that's been going around in the last couple of days. I know Mike Tannenbaum's made like a lot of headlines on his trade, Justin Fields, and he makes it clear. It's not like he doesn't like Justin Fields, but the thing you got to understand when he says that it's very obvious that he specifically just loves Bryce Young. And that's what this is about. It's like, if you love Bryce Young to the point that you like, you, you're you convinced he's going to be the next like MVP of the league, okay, then in that scenario, then maybe you think about 
making that type of move. But if it's not that, if that's not how you feel, then it, to me it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this for a little bit now. Um, I think Justin Fields has earned the earned the right, call it that, to play with better players, like to be built around. And the Bears deserve it, or deserve to. He deserves it, and the Bears should provide it for him. Yeah, I should I should phrase it that way. And just because you're building around Justin Fields doesn't mean you're not building around that next quarterback. You know what I mean? Just just in case this doesn't pan out in 2025, if you still got a good offensive line, you got a, a good receiver, the next quarterback should be in a better place too. Even if that's a veteran or a second year up and comer, time to pour resources into improving your offense, and that starts with building around Justin Fields. And the other thing I'll say real quick, because if that's how he feels about Bryce Young, then good for him, man. And there's, there's probably some team, like I always say every draft year, it only takes one team, right? There's probably some yeah. team out there that feels the same way about Bryce Young. And that's why I think it's such a valuable thing to hold the number one overall overall pick for the Bears. I just, I don't know what Ryan Poles thinks. I do know he likes Justin Fields. But the one criticism I do have of what Mike Tannenbaum keeps saying is the idea that you reset the rookie contract I get that. But what he doesn't mention is you're also resetting the rookie development. And look at that. We're two years into this thing with Fields. And it doesn't always happen. Instantaneous? It's not just Fields. Look at Lawrence. Lawrence finally started making strides this year, but he's still not perfect. All these guys, no matter who they are, take a couple years. Patrick Mahomes was really the exception. By the, the end of year two, you were like, that dude's the dude. But even Josh Allen, as we've talked about, year three. So there's very rare instances where that's not the case. And I just, cool, you're resetting the rookie contract. You're also starting all over with a rookie quarterback. So that's the other side. I think you got to keep in mind there. All right. Let's talk about these playoff games this weekend, Johns. Um, we'll start with Saturday on Fox 330. The Seahawks at the 49ers. I think the Seahawks keep this closer than the the 10 points they're getting. Okay. I don't think they win. The 49ers defense is, is too good, but I feel like I like Geno Smith to make more plays than Brock Purdy when, when the moment is needed, even if he's under duress. I'm taking the 49ers by, by seven points, but I think the Seahawks can make this interesting. Maybe get a backdoor cover. Maybe they flirt with... Covering 49ers win, but yeah, Seahawks and the points. Yeah, I, I do think the Seahawks hang around, but the 49ers are a machine right now. And and the part where I kind of disagree with you is I just think the Seahawks are really struggling to score in this game against that 49ers defense. So even if it ends up being like 20 to 7, or 24 to 10. Like I still, they might hang around for a while, but I still think in the end, the, the uh, 49ers cover. Um, And so at some point we'll talk about the Brock Purdy thing. Later. I should like the, the 49ers have been a dominant football team for like a long stretch now. But then they did have that weird game two weeks ago against the Raiders where Jared Stidham let them up. It's true. But sometimes you need a wake up call in the, in the middle of the season. Yes. So, all right, next game. You're not listening, Chris. <laughs> NBC 715 Chargers 
at Jaguars. This is one of the more fun games of the weekend. Yeah, in my yeah, yeah. I'm going to pick the Jaguars to actually win. I don't know why. Just this is a gut pick. Okay. Uh, like the they're Chargers. two and a half point home dogs. Yes, yes. Um, so I'm, I'm taking the Jaguars to win and the, well, and the points, obviously. Um, I don't know why. I gut pick. Trevor I mean, the, Lawrence over Justin Herbert. The 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 flowage that's going on with these two quarterbacks with their hair. It's going to be glorious. Glorious. Yeah. Yeah. Two hockey guys out there playing quarterback. Um, I think it's a fun game. I think it's close. I didn't like how Trevor Lawrence played last week. And maybe I shouldn't. Maybe there's like uh, a bounce back in there for him. But I still think the Chargers overall, the the better team, more experienced team. The Jaguars are fun, though. I'm going to take the Chargers to win. But I think. I think I'll actually roll with the Jaguars two and a half because I th- I think this might come down to like the very end. Dicker the kicker, maybe. Ooh. <laughs> if there's going to be any upset this week, though, this is it. Right. Um, yeah. The other games quickly. This is it. Maybe that's why I'm picking the Jaguars. I got an upset coming up for you. All right. Yeah. Adam Johns, go ahead. All right, CBS Noon, Sunday. This game should be way better than it probably will be. Dolphins at Bills. No one really knows. So is it Skylar Thompson for sure playing quarterback? Is yeah. Teddy out too? Yeah, yeah. Here's your analysis. Bills by 14. <laughs> yeah, maybe more. I just think they roll. Dolphins are... Man, I really wish the Steelers had snuck back into the playoffs. I feel like it just would have been a better situation. It would have been a better game, but... um. I don't know. If, do we know if DeMar Hamlin's going to be there or not? He's out of the hospital. You got to think that they... I don't know what his situation is right now, but just imagine that place if he's there. Place is rocking. I'll take the Bills. I think it's that easy. Really good, Adam. All right. Fox, 3.30. Also on Sunday, this part of a triple header on Sunday, the Giants at the Vikings. Vikings, a three-point favorite. I, I'm tempted to go against my guy, but I'm going to go with my guy. You're going to go with your guy. Kirk Cousins, covering, winning by a touchdown. I think this pushes. I think the Vikings win by three. Can I predict a push? I don't know how that counts in the standings. It's going to be a one-score game. That's well, look, the Vikings this was, do. These guys played on Christmas Eve at U.S. Bank Stadium. The Vikings are four-point favorites. The Vikings won by three. Now it's a three-point spread. I mean, it makes sense. It's going to be right in there, but the Vikings are good at pulling this out. The Giants, to me, aren't experienced enough to uh, reverse that, so I will take the Vikings. Hello, everyone. This is Al Rivron. Okay. Uh, NBC, 7-15 on Sunday night. Ravens at Bengals. Bengals, nine, uh, excuse me, eight-and-a-half-point favorites. This has come down a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Lamar Jackson's not playing, though, is he? It doesn't seem like it. He's been out for seven weeks? Yeah, and I think there's contract stuff going on there, and it's a mess. Give me the Bengals. The Bengals. Uh, the Bengals have secretly been playing like maybe the best team in the AFC for the last two months. I remember at the beginning of the season, you you kind of predicting they could be this the Super Bowl hangover team. Did I say that? Yeah. Well, typically, I think you were saying that typically it's the losing team that has it, which you're not wrong. But the Rams. Yeah, the Rams are bad. Semi-imploded. Um, 
Give me the Bengals by 10. Okay. I got the Bengals covering. Little teaser. I have the Bengals winning the Super Bowl. So how about that flip? If I really said that preseason, I don't remember saying that, but I may, maybe I did. All right. Uh, we got to get out of here. Monday, ESPN, 715, Cowboys at Bucks. The Bucks are two and a half point home favorite. Uh, this is my upset. I'm, and I'm, no, I'm sure home it's dog. Two, home dog. You, you give me Tom Brady at home as the underdog. By the way, Dak Prescott's been awful lately. Brady's been heating up. Prescott's been going. To me, it's that simple. Give me the guy who always finds a way to win in the playoffs. Um, I'm going to go with Tom Brady here. I'm going to take the box. I love that there's a Monday night playoff game. I'll go with you. Brady and the Bucks. There you go. All right. Um, we A couple people asked on Twitter, and they were right. We did not play the voicemails on Tuesday. Tuesday was an interesting show. There was a lot to get through with the press conferences. We do have your voicemails, though, from the season finale against the Vikings, and here they are. Hello? Do you know who this is? Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! The Hogan John's voicemail. The Hogan John's voicemail line. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. Got any questions or comments about the Bears? Give the guys a call before, after, or even during the game. Go Bears! Hey, Hoagie Cat, John DePab, it's uh, Bob the Broadcast here calling in from Soldiers Field. The most glorious place on the whole dark wide world there. Uh, we got uh, Nathan Peterman, man, going in there to start against uh, the Vikings today, and I am a little bit nervous. This is the one time in the history of my entire life, which spans a hundred years, that I want the Bears to lose a football game. And Nathan Peterman is in there. And what makes me nervous, this guy has had trial by fire. Do you remember he threw seven interceptions in the first half against the Bears a few years ago? That I mean, I talk about learning from your mistakes. There's no way he does that again. What gives me hope is he did not look good on that flea flicker throw earlier this year. Anyway... I think we're about done with this year, if my math is correct. So, get to the offseason. Let's go Vikings today. It feels disgusting coming out of my mouth, but it is what it is. Let's, let's go Texans. Go, Lovey. Get one for the Bears. Go Texans. Bear down. I mean, taking a delay of game on a 4th and 12 and then punting. I really do think they've embraced the tank. Well done, Chicago Bears. I'm very proud of you. Well done. Strength your arm. Well done, guys. And Houston being up by 10. Love you, Smith. You beautiful man. Dead up. Old John Conan from Santa Clara, California. Bears down 10. Texans up 10. Keep the tank rolling. Let's go. Bear down. First overall pick. Bears, Bears, Bears. Bears, Bears down. Let's go. Bears, Chicago Bears, bear down. Super Bowl, Super Bowl 2023. Let's go. Bears down. You know, Hodges right after all. That Davis Mills is a pretty good quarterback. Way to go, buddy. Bears first pick the draft. Guys, thank you for making a terrible season fun, as it could be. You guys are class act. Have a great summer. Bye. Lovey Smith and the Texans from the grave. Let's go, Texans. Chicago Bears, you are on the clock. Hogan down. What an end to the season, guys. Whiskey Cokes and Brewskies to go around to you both and to the Fishman for your excellent Bears coverage this season. Lovey Smith for being a baller and going for two and to the Lions for stopping the Packers from being in the playoffs. 
super excited about the offseason and feeling great about poles, flutes, and fields, steering the ship in 2023 and beyond. The future's so bright. Cheers, guys. Bear down. Hey, Bear fans. D-Man here. Today was rough, but it's all about the future and that number one pick. Bear down. Hoggy Cat Johnson, baby, Bob Dabrowski. The Bears have the number one pick overall. There are things the Bears can do. There are things the Bears should not do. But the bottom line is the Bears have the number one pick overall. Johnson, babe, that's a little ditty for you. You know you like rhymes, and uh, you know I probably rhymed a couple of times in there. Bears have the number one pick overall. Let's go, Bears. All right, Johns. Boy, that was a mega episode. Mega. We got to get out of here. Um, I got to get on CHGO. We got to do an emergency pod there, too. Uh, check out the merch. Hogan Johns. Obvioshirts.com. You can read all of our coverage on Kevin Warren. Everything else. Johns, he's on The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns. They've been doing a great job with this story. You can get our coverage at allchgo.com. And... Um, we're out of here for now. I assume there's going to be a press conference on, on all this. So we'll get back at you when we find out all that. And um, we're not going anywhere. We got you covered all off season. It's going to be a busy, crazy one. And as this week has Big shown, one. it already is. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. To get better. Hey, hey. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.